back to another edition of Oh This Podcast. We're here for episode four of this magical, magical show that you love to listen to. I guess it's our Chris Weber episode. Steve, how are you doing? How are you doing out there in the Thunderdome in the San Jose? I am uh, desperately trying not to float away. Uh, we've been, uh, there's like evacuations going on in San Jose right now and uh, just trying not to drown in a massive wall of water. A massive wall of water. It's kind of like heaven on there are, there are animals uh, coming two by two, and uh, yeah, there. It's a uh, sort of like they evacuated fourteen thousand people uh, Jeez, the other day. So it's uh, and they shut down one hundred and one. Phantom Planet would not be able to cruise uh, up the one hundred and one <laughs> uh, out here. That's absolutely crazy. I cannot believe that. At least the drought's over, which is a good thing. So. Why don't we, uh, in the topic of, you know, massive amounts of water, come sail away into the beer of the week. Steve, tell us what we're drinking. <laughs> beer of the week this week. I'm going to ignore your sticks reference for the rest of the time, but uh, we're dealing with a delicious beer from Bell's Brewing. We are talking uh, Bell's Sioux Hearted, a nice uh, American IPA uh, brewed with 100% Centennial hops. And uh, let me get a hit of this right now. Oh, this is a fantastic beer. It's my favorite to drink from them because of a couple of reasons. I don't know what the fucking fish is on there. So I keep drinking it to try to figure out what the fish is. But it's also got like a, what is it, seven point something percent alcohol? Oh, yeah, it's a solid seven. And I think it's a trout possibly on the on the, on the art. Well, um, it's not a marlin. It's not a goldfish. And it's not a guppy. So, you know. I, I continuously <laughs> drink this, trying to figure it out what it is, hoping that I never actually figure out what this uh, what this fish is because I love this beer here. So yeah, it is a uh, fantastic beer. Uh, big citrus flavor up front. Uh, you get uh, the Centennial hops really pop, and then you get some pine notes in there. Uh, nice malt background, and uh, it just pretty much uh, you know checks everything you could possibly want from a, a beer that uh, you know it's it's very versatile. You can drink it. Uh, and pretty much any any time of day. Well, you should, you know, that depends on what your your motives are. But uh, uh, any time any time of the year, uh, it's it's excellent. The spring, it's good in the fall, it's good in the winter. So uh, yeah, it's it's just a fantastic beer. One hundred on rate beer, ninety five on beer advocate. Uh, available year round, uh, probably across most of the United States. I got to imagine uh, by now, but. Uh, uh, it's they got it in 12 ounce cans, 16 ounce cans. They got it in bottles, and then you get it on tap. So it's pretty much uh, their. It's got to be one of their widest distributed beers uh, of of their entire lineup. Yeah, so it's a, uh, a a workhorse. A you know to quote Rush, I believe they would call it the working man of uh, Bell's uh, brewing beers. It's in the limelight of all the beers that they offer, you know. <laughs> God, we are just puns upon puns today. It's good. And just give us a brief background about Bell's, where it's at, what it's like, and what other beers do they Oh, do? yeah. So they are based in Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, the uh, uh, hometown of, or, well, I guess, high school of uh, Derek Jeter. And, uh, yeah, they make just oodles of beer. Uh, the, the founder of the, uh, of the brewery lives – I think he still lives out here in Chicago. So, uh, but uh, he, uh, they, they're just a massive enterprise up there. Probably one of the bigger uh, craft brewers in the country. Uh, I don't know, know what their total barrel production is year by year, but uh, they, they make a ton of beer. Um, so this is one of their flagships. Uh, they do a bunch of really excellent stouts. Uh, they do some great anniversary beers. Uh, Hop Slam is a big release that they just, uh, put out here in the spring it's their double ipa with honey uh that one is 
sought after by a lot of people. Now they've got that in cans. So that's, that's excellent too. So yeah, they're just a, one of the longest running Midwest breweries and uh, you know, one that uh, I will happily drink a two harder or just about pretty much anything out of their lineup uh, on any day of the week. To bells, to bells. Cheers. Cheers. Well, let's get this party started here, you know, and do our first little bit of the first topic of the week here. Um, I think it's going to be a great little uh, opportunity for us to, Dig into a news story that you brought to my attention. Why don't you share everybody like the big news happening in the, the fast food world? The big, well, it's, I mean, it's really more of a, I mean, it's a social and cultural phenomenon, but uh, yeah. So the operating company, the holding company that owns Burger King just purchased Popeye's for $1.8 billion. Or was it $1.8 billion? That's a lot of biscuits. No, it was, I thought I saw $1.8 billion for Burger yeah. King. And not only is it Burger King, Burger King, the holding company, bought Tim Hortons, or there was a merger and acquisition a couple of years ago. Yeah, you know, sending Canadian bacon one way and then American bacon the other way, getting donuts. Like it's absolutely <laughs> freaking awesome to think about that. So, Popeyes, one point eight billion dollars. That's a whole lot of chicken wings, right? I was a little surprised they don't have as many like stores in the United States as I kind of thought they did. Um, really? They I, they were doing a, I was reading an article like a comparison of like how they would shake up next to McDonald's and they would still have like it was I mean it was in the thousands of stores total for you know obviously for Burger King and Tim Hortons and Popeyes but they were still well short of McDonald's uh, I think by like ten or fifteen thousand stores so. Uh, it's it's obviously a large you know group that uh, of fast food now with Burger King, Popeyes, and Tim Hortons. But I for I don't know for whatever reason I thought there were more Popeyes, but I think there's only a couple thousand in the in the U.S. Yeah, that's odd. Like I know like I was most surprised by one of them right where, before we went to Vegas. I remember like looking at the Las Vegas Bowl, and it was when Houston and what San Diego State were playing. I literally mm-hmm. went on to like ESPN.com to get like some just updates about Houston and whatnot in case we wanted to go to the game. And I remember watching a clip of their video uh, of their practice at their practice facility, literally on the other side of the fence of their practice football facility was a Popeye's. And I'm like, that has got to be the worst thing to have right next door <laughs> to your football practice thing. Because like the offensive line were like, coach, can I get a chicken wing? Can I get some, uh, some biscuits or something like that? Like how amazing would that have been? Like the worst <laughs> thing is like you're doing wind sprints and you got like that fried chicken smell going and you're just absolutely like, I guess it could be a motivating factor, but I think location <laughs> is, uh, they knew their location. It's like, man, I'd be buzzing right out of that parking lot right in to go get some. Oh chicken. yeah. So, After practice, they had to clean up. I mean, I would, I would be there all the time. I mean, I've got a Popeye's next to my office in Illinois and I was shit. I was just there on Monday. Like <laughs> I, I went, I went over to Popeye's for lunch. I got the, what I get the three, three chicken strips, the spicy chicken strips and then uh, mashed potatoes and a, uh, and a biscuit. Hell yeah. That was, that was money. And it's tempting, like working there like working at this, my office and then like having Popeye's next door, it's like, I don't know how I don't go there more often, but you have to like hold back on yourself because like, you know that it's obviously not good for you, but yeah, you love that like, chicken from Popeye's. I'm just going to go over there and get, get a biscuit or go, go grab some chicken. Cause it's, I can walk right, right over there. Uh, but, uh, and I, I love, I mean, I grew up with Popeye's. My parents were always like, 
I mean, that was the the chicken of choice, like versus KFC. I mean, we'd go to KFC every now oh, and again. No, no, but Popeyes no. was the preferred uh, chicken venue of the Hombaker family. Oh no, the for our family would always go to Brown's Chicken and Tooth and Nail. You would like that's a Chicago institution from mm-hmm. day one. I remember, you know, Brown's Chicken was the was the shit. We had Brown's Chicken in Waukegan, but uh, it was kind of on the other side of town, um, so it was closer for us to go to Popeyes. Yeah, for sure. So what was the most interesting thing about this story? That Burger King Tim Hortons is buying Popeyes or that they're buying them for $1.8 billion or this is a thing? Like, what is the most interesting part of, like, what struck you as the fancy uh, for this story? I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting, like, conglomerate of, like, second-tier chains. Like, that's the that's the most interesting Wait. part for me. It's like... Because uh, it kind of like runs up with like what Yum Brands is doing with uh, where they have KFC and Taco Bell and uh, I think they've got a couple others under that umbrella. But it's like it's it's like all of these restaurants, which I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Burger King. Yeah, the King um, is no second tier to anybody. But uh, <laughs> it's it's certainly not like uh, one of those like it's not it's nowhere near like the level of a McDonald's. Um, as far as like the number of stores and stuff and Tim Hortons, I don't know. That's just like not a thing for me. I've only been to a Tim Hortons one time. I was out in Ohio before a softball tournament and we got Tim Hortons breakfast. And it was, it was fine. Uh, it's, a, I mean, it's a Canadian thing, but yeah, like having this amalgamation of like, not specialty, uh, uh, specialty, like specialty restaurants, yeah. but like just kind of like i said second tier it's it's just kind of odd to me it's like hey let's get everyone together and then we'll just have this group of restaurants kind of managed under one umbrella it's uh so if you were if you were playing if you were playing fantasy ceo what would be your conglomeration i think mine would be probably burger king arby's and chipotle like making the massive like ferrar patrick uh you know, food group right there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chipotle got a big round of money from McDonald's in the, in the early going. I know that. Yeah. But they lost. Um, They're struggling right now. But yeah, I think obviously that got, uh, you know, sucked out of there pretty quick. I don't know if I, my number one overall pick, like in that draft, I mean, I think that's one of those drafts where you have to have a, uh, you have to have like a salary number associated with them because like, I think everyone, you know, McDonald's is probably the number one pick in that. And you know, you can't blow your entire budget, you know, selling out for the number one pick and then not be able to fill out the roster with, you know, some solid role players. Well, I think, okay, so let's, let's hammer this out. Okay. So let's look at Yum Brands. Yum Brands has Pizza Hut, Yum Brands has KFC, and Yum Brands has Taco Bell. So let's see if we had our own magical thing. You have to pick a pizza brand, a burger brand, and God, let's see, a pizza, what is it? Pizza, burger, and something else. Okay, you get a okay. wild card. Okay, so pizza. What would you? Little think? Caesars. Papa John's. Papa John's. Papa. Papa. Papa's generous. Like, see, I'm going with generosity here. Papa is very generous with the coops. Burger King is very generous with the <laughs> coops. Like anybody. Well, see, like, I would. I would go for Topper's Pizza, but they're they're like they're a chain, but they're not a big like a. I don't think they're fully national. So I'm going with Little Caesars because. I'm going with value there. You're talking about $5 for a hot and ready. You can get for like nine bucks. You get a crazy bread, a, a hot and ready pizza, and then a two liter. I mean, that's, that's something that not even Papa can touch. I get emails from Papa John's like every day about 30% off, 40% off because the Northwestern Wildcats basketball team wins. So <laughs> how are they making any freaking money with that? And, you know, I don't know. 
I, I think Papa John's has given away a ton of stuff. So it, it would probably be a, a Burger King related Papa John's and an Arby's. That would be my, you know, my domain right there. So I would go with a, uh, I would go with Little Caesars. And then if I'm going burger related, uh, I'd probably go Wendy's. Ooh, interesting. I like a Wendy's burger. Um, and then what, the third category is what, like a wild card? Yeah, wild card. Hmm. That's tough because Popeye's would be close, but I probably I go... totally thought about, forgot about Jack in the Box. <laughs> go West oh, Coast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, oh, well, shit. I mean, I guess if you're, I would go in and out for burgers if, uh, if it was more of a national thing, but they're not, they're not far you know, enough spread out. Right. Um, so wild card, I think a Chipotle, I go to Chipotle a fair amount. I would probably, I would probably throw that in there. Maybe, a, maybe a Jimmy John's as a, as an honorable mention. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm curious to like wonder if Popeyes itself is like a franchise that they're building the brand. They're buying the brand because I gotta imagine that those are independently owned. Most of the stores, like yeah, I gotta imagine. You know, like a Subway or a McDonald's is. It's like you just buy, like they sell it out. So 1.8, like, because if it's all the stores and all the buildings, that seems awfully low. But if it's just the brand and all the op- the franchising opportunity up there, it seems like it's a mm-hmm. reasonable number. Like I don't know. Like we're all gonna. Oh, I totally forgot. We could just do like a Panda Express, RB Burger King, like, and that could be just like, <laughs> you know, hit out. Uh, like, I can't get down with it. I, I've been to Panda Express a few times, so I can't get behind that. It's just, eh. if I want Chinese food, I'll just go to a Chinese restaurant. Like, I don't need to go to the Panda Express. Dude, the Panda Express. Go to Chen's or Choi's in Logan Choice? Square. Big shout out to Choi's. <laughs> Closed on Tuesdays if you're ever in Logan Square, but every other day. <laughs> Don't expect much. Always take your food to go. Like it's absolutely <laughs> hilarious. Uh, um, what's your go-to item at Popeyes? Chicken, like the oh. biscuits. I don't eat at Popeyes a lot. I just love that chicken from Popeyes. I love the commercials. Like, and <laughs> wasn't Jerry Rice like, on the commercials? See, the big thing with Popeyes for us was um, you could get um, original or spicy because KFC was like original or extra crispy, and I didn't give a shit about the extra crispy. Give me the spicy chicken. That's where it's at. Dude, I just realized why they bought the Popeyes. It's so they could do more of like the chicken fingers. You know, the Cheetos chicken fingers at Burger King. Or, like <laughs> the double stacks. Or all co-brand. That. Yeah, co-branding. It's like we got a Popeyes Cheetos chicken lava burst. Uh, if they started selling biscuits at Burger King, that would be that'd be dangerous territory. I don't would they do that in the breakfast? Run. Don't they do that in the breakfast? <laughs> the uh, I mean, the Burger King breakfast sandwich, I'm... I am a staunch supporter of the croissant, which I believe it is the, the hands down the best breakfast sandwich. The king is mighty uh, bountiful and plentiful with his uh, liege, like his uh, people that he supports. The king is amazing. It's good to be the king. It's good to be the king. God, I can't even think about that. I've never been to a Tim Hortons, but my dad was down in Phoenix, and he went to the Phoenix Coyotes game. And then a buddy mm-hmm. was down in Phoenix as well, and they both went there. And he said they had a Tim Hortons in the stadium, which I'm like, okay, I guess Burger King, eh whatever in phoenix i'm like okay so how deep was it and he was like it was about 65 people deep at the during the third period like during the actual like intermission i'm like that's a lot of people buying donuts at a hockey game like i, don't, I guess <laughs> there I, were a fair number of people in the in line for the one we went to when we were in columbus and it was fairly early i mean we were we had a like a 9 a.m game so we were up at like seven or so going to get breakfast and i mean i know that's obviously peak time but like 
I was I was still surprised. Like there was a, a steady row, like probably 15 people deep in front of us at this rinky day Cortons out, you know, on the outskirts of Columbus, Ohio. Is that the place where you went to uh, and had that Golden Corral experience? <laughs> we went to the Golden Corral outside of Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's a topic for another day. Oh, that's <laughs> I, I I just think in Columbus softball like that triggered that story right for me. Absolutely crazy. I can't even think about it. So Tim Hortons or Dunkin' Donuts? Dunkin' Donuts. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I totally agree with you. Did you ever see that? Or did you see the Dunkin' Donuts uh, skit they did on SNL a couple of weeks ago? No, I haven't watched much of the SNL. Like, other than, like, the, a couple of the skits with, like, when they've been, they, Melissa McCarthy's been doing the, the Spicer impression and uh, some of the Alec Baldwin ones. But I haven't been uh, fully up to speed with snl for a while god it's awesome i guess casey affleck was uh on the host like the hosting duties for the week mm-hmm. and i don't know what movie he's in i had, hadn't been following it's, i think it's i think he's nominated for best actor i i don't know i mean i'm so far behind on the oscar nominated movies that's but... ben affleck no i'm just kidding but he's in there and the <laughs> skit that they're doing is like he was just going to dunkin donuts and showing a day in the life of him at dunkin and it is absolutely one of the funniest like two minutes i've ever seen because he's this like traditional guy from boston and he's got the accent down to a t and he's just like it's not like you got business people coming in here and he's a blue collar worker just going in there like <laughs> i remember one part during the the skit i don't want to ruin it all for you but it's like he's just like hey you can't smoke in here and he's like literally at the front door with his hand and a cigarette outside he's like i'm not smoking in here i'm talking to someone <laughs> and the, it's just like he goes off on people it is absolutely one of the funniest things i've seen like saturday night live yeah it's it's been doing some pretty good stuff now but nothing like it was ever in the past you know i think that's uh after 40 what is it 40 years you kind of run your course on the same jokes i mean i mean they had a couple of golden eras you know they had uh you know some of the you know early early on i mean they had such a great crop of talent and then when we were kids they had a, a great run and then even up through like the early 2000s you know up until the point where like will ferrell left um it was pretty solid and then after that you know you just kind of see everyone going in different directions and everyone's getting their own shows or in a, in a different movies. And, you know, the SNL kind of fell off for me at that point, but uh, I mean, it's certainly not without its moments. Yeah. There's a movie, uh, there's a movie on Netflix right now that is, it's about the national lampoon, the magazine and Mm -hmm. everything like that. And it's where like, obviously most of everybody was taken from national lampoon and all the different variety shows that they put on for like the first original cast i think it's called like drunk stone something and dead or something like that it's mm. i watched it a couple of days ago it was absolutely phenomenal just like to talk about like bill murray caddyshack like um brian doyle murray like all the different people that came up john belushi and like all the writers and how the magazine uh came from nothing to something and all that it's actually really amazing to talk about that you should check it out you should yeah, absolutely a, check it out give it a go give it a good old whirl here so I think it's actually, uh-oh, five, four, three, two. I think it's that time again. Transition to the next topic here. Okay, Steve, what do we got next? This one comes to you from Steve himself. Let's see here. Things that you wouldn't change in the technology world. I think you went like 
last week we talked a little bit more about like things that were interesting, like Amazon Prime now and getting stuff. I literally bought something again on Amazon Prime now, and it shipped to me immediately, which was kind of crazy. But what are some things that you never want to change into this like technology things? There's there's obviously some things that you want to have stay manual. Yeah. So just off, just today like i mean we don't do a, a shit ton of uh of prep for our show i mean we come up with our topics we pick our beer and we just kind of go but like all of my notes for today i've written i wrote them down on a, on a yellow pad with a pen and uh that's that's my thing like notebooks pens and paper i don't mess around with like i, I see people like taking notes on uh on their laptops and stuff like that and it's like i'm very much a, a writing uh, you know, give me a pen and paper and I'll scribble it out. And that, that's my, my process. Like that's how I've always been. And it's not going to change the same thing with like calendars. Um, I, I don't mess around. I mean, I, I can use my online calendar. I mean, I use it for, uh, I plug stuff in there and, uh, and, and whatnot, but, uh, more often than not, I use my, my planner for all of my activities and I just scribble it in there and off I go. Is this because you fear Terminators and robots? <laughs> because the because the Google is going to get all of my information. Is that what it is? Is that the reason? <laughs> no. Um, for for me, writing is like fairly like calming and like help. It helps me like work through my ideas. Mm-hmm. So um, that's where like it, it come where like the benefit is for me. There. Um, I also like from, from memorization and like learning things, that's the way I process. So like I will go through and I will like, if say I have a, a, a section of something to, to work on a presentation or, or whatever, I will literally write out everything I'm thinking of saying right. and then practice from that and then revise from that paper and then, you know, chop out things that, you know, I want, you know, or chop out things I don't want, add in things I want you know, and then rewrite the whole damn thing again. I mean, that's just the way I, I function. And it's, I can do it on, on the computer too. And I have, but I find that I remember things better or just get things done clear more clearly when I write on with just pen and paper. Yeah. I think that's the same for me. Any other time I'm going through like an ideation process, like for me, absolutely 100%. It's like, I have a, either like a moleskin, I'm literally looking at this table um, or this bar stool sitting right next to me here, and there's like a stack of 15 moleskin leather bound books there that are just like started with like, here's this startup idea, here's this song idea, here's this business idea, here's this thing. Will they ever turn into anything? No, but they're like, again, like you said, it's like the journaling aspect of it is really therapeutic. For me, like one of the things that I've been not struggling with or just more or less dealing with over the past like, little bit or year is trying to get out of my head and get thoughts on there to like be able to be able to reflect on them it's like it's a almost like a therapeutic process by taking and just like actually writing down oh this day sucked and i don't like this because of this or this day was this it's not like having like a journal like a you know a 13 year old girl having a journal but it's like it's also one of the big things that i'm trying to do in 2017 is have accountability have certain things being accountable for like, if I'm going to say, I'm going to do these goals, I'm going to actually do it. So there's no better way to actually do that than unless you sit down there and record what you're trying to do or document that some way. So I think, yeah, like that's one thing that I see is there. And I never really want tech to change. Like, I don't know. Like I think technology is a good thing that it changes a lot of stuff, but you know, 
taking cabs and stuff like we talked about uber like uber it was a definitely a change because you got time back there's things that i think are good like outside of like writing utensils what are some things that you wish you would never see like go the way of uh technology and stuff like that um I, well going to going to guitars and stuff uh music wise i i still like just a regular ass like tube amp uh i mean i know that like for example like you're a big fan of like all the digital modeling stuff and like having all of these um you know these multi-effects boards and processing stuff where you know you can have you know 50 different amplifiers all in one pedal and you can tweak stuff and I'm very much a like give me my give me my amplifier, you know, one one sing, one sound, one tone that I know is going right. to lock it in and then give me five or six different like individual stomp boxes and most of them analog. Like I don't particularly like the digital modeling stuff. Right. So um that's I like it's a tone thing, it's a feel thing for me and it's not it's not that one's right or wrong. It's just the way that I think it, part of it, I think a big chunk of it is just the way I came up. Like all that stuff was like the digital modeling stuff was still kind of in its infancy. I, I mean, it's been around for a while, but like, you know, as a teenager playing guitar, um, trying to go out and shell out, you know, three, four, five hundred dollars for a pedal board or one of these modeling uh, platforms uh, just wasn't going to happen. Yeah. So it was like, all right, well, let me go buy this fucking you know electro harmonics used uh you know big muff you know fuzz pedal or let me go buy you know uh, some other you know uh, an analog chorus pedal uh that's that's like my other like area where it's like don't change like just stick with what you know right and so like yeah i'm i'm all about that and it's like it, it has something to do with like there i mean there are modeling there's modeling stuff out there it sounds absolutely fantastic and um, it's come a long way since, you know, back when I was getting started, but, uh, yeah, that's, that's probably one of my other areas where it's just like, yeah, I'm not messing around with anything like that. Just give me what I know. Yeah. And I think from like a music standpoint and digital modeling and different things in, of that nature, I've only become, I only like the digital stuff because of, it allows me for a reasonable price. Yes. Mm -hmm. You're paying, you know, it takes some money to get it, but if I were to take and go get you know, a fraction of the amps just right off the bat. Like if I was going to get a Marshall, a Vox, a twin reverb, any of those things, you know, just, you know, I'd be spending $4,000 for that. Right. The digital amp or the digital models and through software patches allow you to take and do get it. It's definitely not close. Like for me, my dream goal is to get a Vox AC 30 tube amp and run all of this through that. Because it's the most clean sound and you can actually just like, and I want to be the Beatles. Like, I would love to have that. Be, <laughs> that would be like the, the, the culmination of it. But I've, I always keep that as like, that's something I'm going to buy in the future. Because to find a good one in a tube is really tough. But from like a creativity standpoint, I look at um, the digital modeling is just a tool for creativity. And I don't know if you saw this a couple years ago. It came out with, I think the DVD was called or not DVD, the movie, it was a documentary where it had The Edge, Jack White, and oh, yeah. Jimmy Page. It might get loud. And they talk mm -hmm. they talk with The Edge, and he was in there and showing just, like, his process. And, you know, they first show Jack White making a guitar string on a Coke bottle. And then they go to and they show his process, and they go to The Edge's process and see what he did for you, too. And it started off really 
humbling, uh, humbly first at like he was doing just like minor stuff. But when he learned to use digital modeling and a lot of different effects and plowing effects back into it, it opened up a level of creativity that he had no idea that he was going to. And I remember one thing it's like they were showing him he was playing literally uh, like power chords like and literally changing one note. And it was changing the way that it was modeled. He had a chorus pedal into a flanger, into a phaser, into a delay, into a tape delay or an analog uh, echo. And it was the like I think it was the start of Vertigo. And he was literally playing two notes, and it was this this wide wave of sound. And that's not what I try to emulate, but I think from a creative standpoint, I've gone the digitaling side, just because of, you know, it's the convenience of getting up and running is a lot, you know, is a lot cheaper to do that. Like I'm not necessarily uh, opposed to taking and learning how to take and do record production on analog on tape. Like, I would love to learn how to do that. It's just never been something that has been accessible to me. I mean, sure. it's and, been I mean, it's certainly much more uh, efficient to do recording, I mean, digitally. I mean, analog has its its charms, I guess, but, like, from a re- just simply a recording standpoint, I mean, the, dig- the, the capabilities within digital recording are, I mean, just an absolutely insane. I mean, be able to, you know, you can honestly manipulate with such ease just to, you know any section any any tone i mean there there's a ton of stuff you can do um that from a production standpoint just makes just makes it almost a no-brainer i my only thing is just like from like i mean i'm not a i'm not a professional musician by any stretch right. so it's like it's 99 of me just dicking around on my guitar and and just finding the tone that i that i want um you know, and it doesn't, uh, it's not that digital can't get me close. And, and I agree 100% that, uh, you know, it can definitely open up some uh, avenues that you might not have um, just through your analog stuff, just by having a big multi-effects board. But for whatever reason, the analog stuff just sounds better to me. And it, it, it's just, it might just be my ear and maybe my ear is, uh, you know, flawed in some manner, but that's just, you know, where my, where I go at that, at this point. Oh, but I think like a Vox tube amp, like if you have solid, decent tubes, it's going to sound better. It's going to sound better mm-hmm. than a modeled Vox amp, but the modeled Vox amp, I know like in some of the software that Native Instruments puts out, you can actually change the warmth where they've done it. They've taken, basically all they do is they record people playing through that to get you a similar sound and it's like okay here's what it should react to in this level of the way mm-hmm. going through it it's pretty simple that way like yeah i think the music side of things is really interesting that's always been a hotly debated stuff in the music production world is like oh analog versus digital i would rather take and say i'd rather play a guitar versus a guitar <laughs> or something that's just like a midi controller there but like from one of the things that i never really want tech to change is I know it is starting to change, but the book itself, like, I think there's something to be said with actually reading a book from like a paperback or a hardcover book from cover to cover. Um, that's really difficult to see when you take and read a ebook. Like for me, like I want to have like different, um, like I want to have goals of like, I want to read 20 pages and it's going to give me this far 20 pages is 20 clicks of the thumb on an e-reader. Mm-hmm. Where versus like you can actually see that you're getting through a book and you can see where you know like most fiction is supposed to be in a three-act you know shakespearean kind of way mm-hmm. so it's like okay i'm at the climax or near it well whatever <laughs> uh, hey oh uh, 
Um, but it like it tells you like what you can expect from that perspective. I think you lose that when you have it in digital form. What are your thoughts with that? Oh, I'm I'm in the same camp. Uh, that's my my other big thing is is I'm I'm all about paper books and as bad as it is because it's you know shredding trees and and all that stuff. I mean the uh, yeah there's there's a tangible aspect to having that book in my hand and moving the pages and uh, that's I mean again that's what I came up with. I mean it's probably mostly a generational thing just because like I feel that kids that are growing up now probably don't have that same, that same uh, attachment. Uh, but, you know, I grew up, my grandparents always had books. We would go to the library all the time. It was like, go check out a book. Like we had, you know, you go to the library at school, you go check out a book, you go to the book fair, you buy right, some stuff. Right, right. Um, I mean, it was always, uh, you know, go and, you know, just going to get a book and burning through it, you know, as fast as you feel like, and then moving on to the next one, putting it away. Um, yeah, that's, um, I've debated getting an e-reader. I've read books on my phone and stuff. Uh, and, you know, it, it was nice to kill time, but my preference has always been just holding a physical book. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing, too. Like, professionally, for me, being a software engineer, it kind of is counterintuitive to think that you're going to be reading technical books about cutting-edge technology that could change immediately when the medium of the blog or the website is, you know, probably a better form for like changing content rapidly. But there's something to be said about having like, like I have these like omnibus JavaScript books that are 6,000, not 6,000, like hundreds upon hundreds of pages. And oh, yeah. There's some other ones which are specific topics that are like 60 pages. Um, there's something to be said about having that from like being able as like a reference to go to it, highlight actually, you know, the first time I had an iPad with an e-reader on there, I was highlighting the screen and it's like, okay, now I got all this like red marker on my screen. I'm just kidding actually, by the way. <laughs> no, I mean, like, um, I definitely think that uh, I, I consume tons of media, you know, electronically, uh, whether it be a blog, you know, Twitter posts, you know, links to articles, uh, like the newspaper, for whatever reason, like that's not one that I feel I have to have. Like I don't need to have a physical newspaper to appreciate what's what's being said. But for whatever reason, the book, whether it be something for reference, whether it be you know reading for pleasure, I don't know. Like to contain more detailed and in-depth information, I always feel like the physical printed book is is better for me. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I can't agree more with that. So I think. One of the things that we need to look at. Oh, shit. We hit that again. It's my generation, man. Like, we got to figure this out here. So, <laughs> I think we're on to our final segment here with this. Uh, absolutely a good Fucking time. Take me to the Matthews Bridge. You know, I, <laughs> did you not have an idea that something with Limp Biscuit was going to come out of this one here? Like a little bit of an idea, like when we're doing these transitions. I don't know. I think it's amazing here. But I mean, there, there. I strongly doubt that that will be the last Limp Biscuit reference that we make on this show. So if you're no. not into Limp Biscuit, you might as. I mean, we're not into Limp Biscuit any longer. But if you're not into comical Limp Biscuit hey, I, I, uh, usage, you, okay. you probably want to back out uh, pretty soon because it's going to get used again. Yeah. We, we might break stuff. We might do it all for the nookie. You know, <laughs> if you have faith in us, we will take and rearrange what your modern desires. As we, as, RIP, George Michael. As we end together in this journey along the lines to uh, 
uh, shit, I can't think of another Limp Biscuit track to take in reference here. But one of the things that we have to do is like our friend group does the stupidest things ever. We come up with business ideas, and I think it's only fitting to take and start to talk about some of these business ideas in the world to get market research here. So, Steve, amazing business ideas. Let's talk about some. Do you have any right now or stories you want to share, or do you want me to just like go into one of them right off the bat? Well, I mean, we can always uh... – I mean, I'm a I'm a staunch fan of uh, the bobblehead. Uh, I've got a, a, a sizable bobblehead <laughs> collection. So uh, um, our our offshoot uh, branded uh, bobblehead company, uh, Wobble Noggins, was always a uh, is always going to you know uh, if I ever hit the hit the Mega Millions or the Powerball and uh, have have enough capital to do that, you bet your ass I'm going to be starting a a fucking bobblehead company you gotta and, start uh, you gotta tell people and, the, the nexus of and our good friend is. uh andrew marks is going to be our chief creative director and uh you know we've had many conversations about his uh, preferred medium for uh you know r&d and what uh what he prefers to sculpt the bobbleheads out of and uh, we've settled on the potato as being the <laughs> ideal implement for uh, his his art so uh yo that's that's one of my dreams, you know, so if we get to that point, then, you know, we'll have uh, the capital to make it happen. Uh, I fully expect there to be a line of uh, waddle noggins out there. A line of credit for that particular idea. I mean, backstory for this, we s- literally are sitting there on the train to go down to a Sox game. And we're like, man, we should start up. It's bobblehead night or some crap. It was a bobble. Like, yeah, it was like Chris like, Sale bobblehead day or something. Yeah, and we're like, we're, we're leaving an untapped marketplace here for this opportunity. How can we take and corner the market? Okay, we're going to take and start our own bobblehead company called Wobble Noggins, obviously with a Z. And honestly, the funniest part is like, yeah, the perf- proven uh, – preferred uh choice of uh building out these uh wobble noggins was carving out potatoes and any bad design that he made was forced to be eaten upon so forcing quality <laughs> control there like absolutely batshit crazy stuff but i think i think one of my ideas like there is a reason i did play that limp biscuit song steve doesn't really know why but um i'm sitting there walking down the streets in vegas i'm making my way downtown uh, walking fast faces whatever um, in Las Vegas on a trip and I'm looking at all the different hotels and all the casinos and I'm like man Cirque du Soleil does not know the shit that people want to see of my age and so I'm thinking to myself oh my god this is a great opportunity I see like the Cirque du Soleil Michael Jackson and the Cirque du Soleil Beatles and the Cirque du Soleil um, god there was another one out there that was like a musician right like I can't remember if there was like Anyway, there were all these like different Cirque du Soleil's out there, and I'm like, what if there was a Cirque du Soleil about the greatest new metal rock band of all time that came out of uh, the greatest TRL generation, Limp Bizkit? I'm thinking to myself, the, the this, redneck fucker from Jacksonville. God, this is absolute Fred Durst. Like, so I'm literally sitting there, and I'm like, this could make tens of dollars coming to a parking lot near <laughs> you. Cirque du Limp Biscuit. So the next day, I immediately go and buy the domain, com. Domain is working. The website actually is down right now because of too much traffic. But <laughs> here's the proposed idea. Elvis gets a Cirque du Soleil. Michael Jackson, the Beatles, they all get Cirque du Soleil. Why not just have the, the mighty songbook and discography of Limp Biscuit? with world-class acrobatists taking and working under a tent in a parking lot near you. <laughs> Tell me this is not the best fucking idea ever. 
It's it's certainly not bad. It's uh, certainly not I think, good though, either. I mean, you got to really work on uh, what I mean. I think the most important parts of it, uh, the the uh, obviously the music soundtrack is is a core element, and then you're going to want to have some serious work on the choreography, and that's where you need to bring in professionals. Yeah. So what would you? Like if you, how many songs do you think you need? I mean, what's it, it going to be about an hour show? Is, is that ballpark for a circular delay show? I'm thinking we need to buy a lot of red New York Yankees hats and get a lot of skate. Well, most definitely a lot of skaters. It's probably going to be like an hour, hour and fifteen minute show. It has to be. Um, it's going to be in a tent. It's probably going to be in a parking lot somewhere because no casino would ever put it inside of a theater. I think uh, we would have uh, to. It might go in circus, circus, <laughs> circus, circus. I think there's a market there. Like, there's the Backstreet Boys are coming out, New Kids on the Block. Didn't you say, like, Sync was actually coming out with, like, a tour coming out really quickly? I, I thought I saw something about that. God, I don't know. Like, they know that we, like, our generation as, like, full-time employees have discretionary income. Not my generation Limp Biscuit song, though, right? No, not my generation Limp Biscuit song. Like, I don't know. I think it would be a great idea. It would literally draw tens of people and make tens of dollars every night and like fred durst if you're listening to this like call me we'll talk we can come up with ideas we can you know co-produce this i also have another idea after a night at red lobster during unlimited shrimp fest i came up with the idea for shrimp biscuit the long island's (laughs) most top uh shrimp and limp biscuit festival and that was like literally what it is shrimp biscuit is basically a festival that's going to have a cheddar bay biscuit uh um making contest and then four days of limp biscuit in the hot long island sun uh or the new england (laughs) sun boat shoes required i think these are two like i feel like the florida swamps or perhaps new orleans is a better venue for this that would be scrimp biscuits i also own the domain there too so fred if you're listening we can take and parlay this into a a multi-million dollar uh business adventure here (laughs) Like, I don't know. What else do you got? Like, I know we come up with I these mean, stupid ideas. I'm, I'm going to work on, on, on shrimp biscuit. I mean, what what shrimp-based vendors are you talking about? I mean, are you talking about a Red Lobster coming in and, uh, you know, corporate sponsorship deal? Or are we going to go indie with this and get some local shrimp places to uh, make this thing home? Investors? Possibly you. <laughs> like, I'm open up to any ideas here. Any, any willing and able people that want to discuss this further. I will take calls. I will take Skype calls so I can see who you are. Um, and you can see who I am so we're not trolling each other on this stuff. I think one of the funny things with um, the Shrimp Biscuit is, like, there was – I was watching on YouTube because I do this occasionally. There was um, – let me back up for a little bit. I came up with this idea because sometimes you just have to listen to Fred Durst yell, break stuff. And then I was in Vegas and I was a top of mind awareness. I come back to Chicago and I'm walking past a subterranean in, uh, lo- or in Wicker Park, right? The concert venue. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting oh, yeah. there and I'm like looking at the bar and they have all the, like the playbills on there. And I'm thinking to myself, this is new metal night. And it had a picture of Fred Durst on there. It's like there was a DJ who was having a night like every second Wednesday of the month. Of course, it's a Wednesday <laughs> of the month at the club that we're doing. And they were playing like corn POD, uh, oh, limp God. biscuit, um, some crazy town. So like any of those like limp, uh, Lincoln park, like all those different, like new metal bands of like the late nineties, alien ant farm, uh, 
yeah i mean the the new metal movement uh yeah there's some there's some rough ones in there there are uh, there i could i could not see myself going like i mean i listened to enough of that when i was in middle school to know that like I should not be listening to this as an adult and I can't ever for, I, I would go to see what kind of people show up at that, but I don't think I would go just to just, there would be no enjoyment other than people watching. Don't judge. I would absolutely go 100% myself and be singing along with every single song because I think it would be fun, but that's like the nexus of where this came. So I started looking up all these different Limp Bizkit songs and I was on YouTube, and I don't know how, but there was a, there's a, in the UK there is a Limp Biscuit cover band, hardcore, and they're not awful. They're not good, <laughs> but they're not awful. I gotta figure this out. I'll put it on a link somewhere. But like, it's hilarious. That's that's how this whole like nexus of the Limp Biscuit empire came to uh, came to fruition from my standpoint. Like, I don't well, know. I mean, we we just want to. You know, they, it's not that they've fallen on hard times, so to speak, but uh, we just want to make sure that their uh, proper status is understood and respected amongst the community and realize that they're really a, uh, you know, they can expand and, and really uh, make a difference in the uh, arts world. I mean, their music is versatile. That's, I mean, that's the bottom line. Okay, so beside my grand grandiose version of trying to become a Limp Bizkit, uh um, what you might call it? What are some of your other ideas that you can think of right now? What are some of the well, my another uh, fine idea that I can't take all of the credit for, but uh, give a give a shout out to my uh, my good friend uh, Ryan Thamaris. Is we were at uh, Soxfest. Uh, this would have been in what two thousand and eight or maybe two thousand nine, White Sox Fan Festival. And, uh, you know, you're going around and people are signing autographs and you, you've got stuff for sale. And uh, our idea was rather than going and getting a, a cookie cutter, I mean, anyone get an autograph on a baseball, anyone get a, their jersey signed. It's like, what would be a better idea? What would be more unique? What if you just got random athletes and celebrities to sign completely random objects? Yeah, like stepbrothers. Build a marketplace for those items. I mean, we're talking about David Cohn, famous New York Yankees pitcher, signing a ice cream scooper traffic. No, a traffic cone. Come oh on. gosh. Okay. 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 Uh, we're talking about, uh, you know, famed White Sox slugger, Paul Canerco, perhaps, you know, maybe instead of signing your Jersey, I don't know, maybe giving you an autograph on a fine uh, piece of luggage. Uh, so something along those lines where you can kind of get those items that, uh, you know, really are out there as far as, uh, you know, you would never expect to be autographed, yeah. but, uh, you know, will hold sentimental value over time because you can truly say, I have a one of a kind piece. Yeah, I think that's going to be a, that would be cool. Like the collectors would go crazy off of that. I, well, the I collector would... community is all about one of ones and having, you know, baseball cards that are only, there's only, you know, a handful of limited edition stuff. I mean, that community goes bonkers for it. It's like, why not be pumped when you get a, uh, you know, a uh, rocks glass signed by Scott Stapp or something like that. <laughs> That's absolutely hilarious. I was not picturing Scott Stapp, but now I'm literally picturing. Uh, well, I just, I just, you know, I'll, I'll walk up to Scott Stapp with arms wide open. I'm not scared. That's hilarious. I came up with one other one today that I wanted to flesh out more because I don't know. 
exactly how I want to take this into do the marketplace. Um, but I was watching the Joe Rogan podcast and like, honestly, I think he's great. He has a lot of interesting people on with different opinions. Uh, but Joe is pretty level headed. Like there's sometimes he can go off ways, but he had Neil deGrasse Tyson on for it. And literally here's the idea I came up with right now, Mike deGrasse Tyson. And it's basically <laughs> Mike Tyson giving astrophysics speeches written by Neil deGrasse Tyson across like we can make it a concert series. We can make it a TV show or a po- like, hey guys. it's like a, like a poetry reading except yeah. for Mike Tyson's reading it's astrophysics like, textbooks. Like you can hear like the staffing here and it's like just with a high pitched voice. Like, like, hey guys, like <laughs> doing like straight up like astrophysics. Like, I don't know if that will be like appealing. I would definitely, how much would you pay to see that? I'd, I'd go double digits on that. I, I would shell out between between twenty and forty dollars. I think to watch that, I'd pay fifty bucks or more for that. I would. Well, what, I would. Kind of, what kind of environment are we talking? Are, are we talking? He's selling on an amphitheater. Or are we talking about an intimate club environment where there's like a thousand people? So my man Nelly just did a symphonic tour and he was doing like theaters. Uh, and he did like he was uh, doing a show in St. Louis with the St. Louis Symphony. So if Nelly can sell symphony tickets, I think Mike Tyson doing astrophysics lectures can sell out uh, symphony. <laughs> so let's say it's like the Chicago theater. Like I'd probably pay, I probably wouldn't pay much more than 50 bucks, but I would definitely pay 50 bucks and I would get a playbill because that would be one of, like you said, one of the most remarkable one-off things that you would never have as a collector. Like if you could get that, a, ju- that just gave me an idea for one of my one of my businesses, the, the autograph business would be to get a copy of Mike Tyson's punch out signed by Evander Holyfield. <laughs> the guy who always was behind him and everything. Have you seen that freaking uh, 30 for 30 with uh, Holyfield? Where he's yeah, just it's waiting. Really, it's that is very good. That is good. You like Holyfield? Yeah, he's one of my clients. Got a good body, huh? The Seinfeld reference where George <laughs> felt it move. Like, I don't know why I went there, but that's freaking hilarious. Yeah. Mike Tyson DeGrasse or Mike DeGrasse Tyson. Like I can totally see it right now. You know, why did all my ideas come in the theater world? Maybe I'm just a, a sheer entrepreneur in the theatrical arts that I need to like, you know, production, music, anything like that. Well, you're, yeah, you're just a, you're just a creative. I mean, that's your, you know, some people prefer the, the pen and the paper. I mean, that's just your, uh, the clay that you prefer to uh, work in. Yes, it is the, is the preferred medium for the effective communication process. Like, I don't know. I think it's good. I think we're going to have a bunch more of these as we come. I, I come up with a <laughs> bunch of stupid freaking ideas all the time. Um, are they amazing? I think they are amazing. Will they become businesses? That's the that's that's for you to decide. We are that's looking up to you. Exactly. investors, investors possibly, possibly you. you. So you can send us a fax. We don't have a fax machine, but we can take and source ideas here about uh, potentially different ways to work on this in the future here. <laughs> um, I think this is great, but um, let's see here. Anything else? Uh-oh. I think that takes us down to the last little bit here. We managed to go through three beers that's too hearted here from Bells. I think this is an absolute uh, wonderful show. Steve, thank you again for being on the show tonight. Any final parting words from our uh magical uh topics that we talked about it is a there's i'm i'm just at a a loss of words right now because billy squire just came on yeah you like that stuff (laughs) i that, that one got me 
stroke you, stroke you. So, like, <laughs> yeah, my goal is to mess up with Steve every single time we have a transition to these different things. But this fire was the deep cut. So, anyway, thank you again for joining us for Oh This Podcast episode four. Um, do us a huge favor. Uh, follow us on the social medias. We like it. You like it. Follow us. Yeah, give us a give us a shout. Give us the shout. Give us the friends. Tell us. Tell your friends that we. If you're like Billy Squire, give us the stroke. Stroke me, stroke me. Tell your friends to like us and then listen to this on the internet and then tell them to tell two friends and then them to tell two more friends and then to tell two more friends. The more friends <laughs> that get told about this, uh, the more we can actually pay for the beer that we buy and drink on here. Um, thank you again for joining us for this episode. Again, your love and support has been absolutely wonderful throughout this. Uh, shout out to Steve's mom who actually listened to the podcast on uh, <laughs> for us here. And we will see you next time. And until then, I'm Steve. And I'm Patrick. Awesome. We will talk to you later. Bye.